Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 64. Today we spoke to Trevor Reagan, a man on a mission to discover and share the science of better learning. Think of him as a learning and research translator for us all. Everyone can become a better learner. Learn the building blocks during this chat. We discuss growth mindset, fear, uncertainty, and many other things. Please subscribe to Trevor's excellent podcast, The Learner Lab Podcast, and find out more about his work at www.thelearnerlab.com. Welcome to the jungle, folks. Hi, welcome to Sleepy Perform Repeat. We're joined by Trevor Reagan, and I'll pass you over to David, who will introduce. Really looking forward to speaking to Trevor today. Heads up The Learner Lab. He's very much a guy who can do a lot of different things. He runs a podcast, he's a content creator, facilitator of workshops, really all about learning and how we can learn more and learn better. Um, really looking forward to hearing all about what Trevor does and what makes him tick. So thanks for taking the time, Trevor, to speak to Kiran and myself. How's that- life your end? Life is good. I appreciate you guys having me on, giving me something to do in isolation. So this <laughs> this is great for everybody. Um, and I'm excited to share some of our stuff with your listeners. Yeah, like I think it's fair to say, just so the listeners understand a little bit, that this guy has interviewed some pretty interesting people, right? People mm-hmm. such as Seth Golden, Carl Dweck, Daniel Coyle, spoken to Robert Rosenthal. He's worked with Ferrari, Cleveland Indians, Microsoft, Buffalo Sabres in the NHL. Not blowing blowing up your ego here too much, Trevor, but you've done okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I feel really lucky to get to do what I do. Um, like the the thing I like the most about my job is the learning that I get to do. The the fact that so many researchers have opened their doors to let me come and like spend a few days with them and ask dumb questions and try to like get to the core of what their research really means. Um, I found that world to be super receptive or inviting. They want people to come into their world and understand their research. And so that's been fantastic to get to to learn from people way smarter than me. Um, and then I love to be able to connect those dots and then share research and insight to people in a digestible way so they could actually use it. And so I see myself as kind of the, the learning research translator. It's like, I'm going to connect the dots and I want to explain it, not dumb it down, but explain it in a universal language so people can take action on it. Um, and I'm just lucky to kind of get to learn and get to share. I, I love doing both of those things. So here's a bit of a curveball early on for you. What kind, of, what kind of learnings have you distilled or taken from your experience that you're maybe utilizing personally through what is a pretty difficult and surreal period of time now that we're all facing. Yeah. Um, a few big pillars of, of our message. One is everyone can become a better learner, but that requires action. And there's a few building blocks to becoming a better learner, like three big ones that we push. And there are more. 
One is just the belief that we can grow. Some people call that like a growth mindset. And that's just the, the, the belief that we are capable of change. The other core pillar we talk about a lot is just kind of having a deeper understanding about fear and our kind of tough emotions that when we feel fear, or when we feel nervous, when we feel anxious, it doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. Like if we're dealing with uncertainty, if we're in a situation where we care and the outcome is unknown, we're going to feel things. And so two big principles we push is accepting the fact that feeling is okay. That doesn't mean we're doing something wrong or not prepared. That means we're a human and then building this growth mindset, which is the belief we can change and grow. So I use those things every day in and out of pandemics, right? Like I use those things no matter what's happening, but especially now it's helping a lot that like I see a lot of people in my industry telling people how to think and how to feel during this time. But the truth is no one knows what we're doing. Like this is weird. There's no clear cut finish line. Like this is something that no one has experience with. And so kind of my advice goes in a different direction of just like, look, there's no right or wrong way to deal with this. There's no right or wrong way to feel, but however we feel is okay. It's normal. We shouldn't be trying to suppress those feelings or get rid of them. We can learn to accept them. And then for sure, we can focus on our actions on top of those and use this as an opportunity to grow. But what we're really trying to avoid is like, okay, the, the type one emotion is how we feel. But the type two emotions are having feelings about our feelings. And those are the ones that get us in trouble. So before a big performance, I'm nervous, but sometimes I'll feel shame because I'm nervous and then I'm in real trouble. And I would say the <laughs> same, same with this is like, we feel how we feel, but we shouldn't be slipping into those type two emotions of shame for feeling nervous, anxious for being anxious. And the, the way to avoid that is just to accept them. It's like, Hey. However we feel is okay. Every day is going to be different. We're in a weird situation. And at the same time, we can find ways to make progress and grow and build stuff. That's the growth mindset piece. And so that's a great one-two punch of accepting tough emotions and then focusing on the things we can control and ways to grow and get better and, and practice the things that we care about. I love that. Like control the control the controllables. And if, if you can't control something don't don't worry or to stress yourself too much about it right yeah one of the best things i heard you speak about before trevor was the i think the conversation you had with seth godin and the day you said he gave you permission mm-hmm. to feel fear mm-hmm. and to not overly judge it do you want to just run through sort of a little bit of sure. how people can understand fear and how they can use it as a, as a tool to get better right so the, the part that's helped me the most, and, and I think I have a better understanding of it now, he, he taught me this lesson almost seven years ago. And, it, and, and I know it's easy to say this, but it legit did change my life. Like every once in a while, you're exposed to an idea where you're just like, whoa, that is way different than how I normally talk about this. So I think here are the, the building blocks of having a deeper understanding about fear. First, it's sort of... In a way, it's like wired in, like a part of our brain creates our emotions, it creates our fear. And then we need to understand, well, what are the triggers that create fear and discomfort? There are a lot, but maybe four big ones would be uncertainty, attention, change, struggle. We could even add like caring to that situation. So the way it works is whether I'm in danger or not, if what I'm doing involves uncertainty, attention, change, struggle, and if I care about it, I'm going to feel 
some discomfort there. And so whether it's a small thing like speaking up in a group and asking a question in a class, well, there's a tension and uncertainty there. That's going to create some discomfort. Uh, it could be a big, big match, big game. We don't know if we're going to win or not. There's a lot of people watching and there's struggle involved. I'm going to feel a certain way. And so the, the funny thing is there was a survey done by a researcher at a Harvard Business School. Her name is Allison Wood Brooks. They surveyed thousands of people and asked, before a big performance, when you feel nervous and activated, what is the best thing to do with those type of feelings? 91% of people said something to the effect of we should suppress them or get rid of them. Basically saying we should tell ourselves to calm down, tell ourselves don't be afraid. And I think for everyone listening, we've all said that to ourselves, and we've all heard that from the outside. That's kind of our default approach to dealing with fear. Calm down, don't be afraid. There's a lot of ways to say that, but that's the core message. What they find, though, in research around stress, anxiety, fear, that one of the worst approaches we can do is to try to suppress emotions like that. When we push back on those, they actually get worse. And so I, in Alison Woodbrook's uh, research, she did a really fascinating study to test and compare these different tactics of one suppressing fear and the other of what they call reappraising it, but that's essentially just accepting it. Uh, so they did this study where they had three activities that create a lot of discomfort. Public speaking, a math test, and singing. So the idea was we're going to put these students through these activities. These are going to activate them. Let's test and compare the different approaches. So there's three groups of students. The first group is taught before they perform the activity. They're taught, calm down, don't be afraid. The second group is taught nothing. And the third group is the reappraisal group. They're taught, it's okay, it's human. It's expected that you're going to be a bit nervous before you do something like this. And in all of the activities, group one did the worst. And in all of the activities, group three did the best. And it was like a big difference. The, uh, the way they did the singing portion of the study gives us the big lesson. and It'll essentially answer the question that you asked. I've been talking way too much. But the singing portion was, <laughs> you, you go into a room, a small room, and there's three people sitting at a table across from you. There's a Nintendo system hooked up to a TV, and you have to sing Don't Stop Believing to the Three Strangers. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> this is kind of like a nerve-wracking situation, and it actually gets worse. The three people are part of the study and they're trained to give you no facial feedback. So while you're singing the song, they're just sitting there deadpan, no smiles, <laughs> anything. And they're like, giving it all. <laughs> like, of, like if an audience did that during one of my workshops, I would die. Like we, <laughs> we need that facial feedback. So it, obviously this is a, a fairly uncomfortable situation that they've created. Okay, so the group that's taught, calm down, don't be afraid. They score an average of 53% on the song, like the game gives you a score. The group that's taught to reappraise it, the group that's taught it's okay, scores an 81%. That's an almost 30% boost in performance coming from one adjustment to the way we talk about fear. Now, here's the fascinating part for me. In all of her work, she measures the physiology so they measure heart rate, blood pressure, even hormones. In all of the groups in this study, there was really no change. Everyone's heart rate went up. Everyone's blood pressure went up. 
everyone could see that physiology changing. And so when we're talking about reappraisal and accepting these tough emotions, we're not necessarily changing how we feel. We're changing how we interpret those feelings. So think about group one who's told, don't be afraid, but then they're put in a situation where they do feel afraid. Now they're going to be in that room going, "Uh uh-oh, you told me not to feel, but I do feel. Something's wrong. I'm not ready. That's that type two emotion we were talking about. They're in this snowball effect of shaming themselves because they're afraid because they were told to not feel. Then you put yourself into the shoes of group three who's taught it's okay, it's human, it's normal. Now they're in the room feeling the same way, but they're more likely to turn their attention to the task of singing because they accept the fact that the nerves are a part of the equation. And to me, that's the fascinating part. When we're telling people to accept and reappraise, we're not telling people to get rid of how they feel, but we're just changing the way we interpret it. When we learn that it's okay, we can accept those feelings and turn our focus to the task. When we think we're doing something wrong by feeling, our focus is more internal on fighting this losing battle of trying to get rid of the nerves that can't really be done. And so we take this back to Seth Godin. That's what he taught me. And the fascinating thing is he didn't know about this research. This is just something that he thought about and learned from talking to great artists and musicians. This is something that people in the arts usually learn and figure out without being exposed to the science. And so I love topics like this where there's a collision between the arts, the performance, sports, Uh, even business and the science. And this is one of those topics where a lot of people are saying similar things. And then to connect those dots of explaining it, how Seth does, talking about his messaging, but then bringing in the studies and research to support what he says, uh, that's what excites me. And that's where I, I find like I can provide the most value to people of connecting those dots like that. And this topic is a great one. In the end, the end application is for people to understand it's okay to be nervous. Like anytime you expand out of your comfort zone in a big or small way, we're going to feel. That doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean we're not ready. It doesn't mean we can't handle the situation. It means we're a human. It means we have an amygdala. Seth calls this our lizard brain. And so once we learn the mechanics of fear and learn to accept it, It can actually have a big impact on how we perform and a big impact on how we grow. Because think of all the times in our life and our past where we've been presented a learning opportunity, but we feel activated. We feel nervous and assume like, well, I better not do this because I'm nervous. But once we learn the mechanics of this, learn to accept it, we're presented a learning opportunity. We feel activated. Now we know, oh, that doesn't mean I can't do this. That just means I'm a human. Like, wow, that small adjustment can help me take advantage of more learning opportunities, which will help me grow and get better at the things I care about. Definitely. I think one of the things that we think about when we have an outsider view of athletes and elite performers is that they don't experience any fear. And I think a recent interview with Pat Connaughton from the Milwaukee Bucks in the Mm -hmm. NBA and the question was, how did you get over having anxiety or having fears of butterflies before games? And he, his response was that he never did. Yeah. That he experiences them. And exactly what you said, he accepts them. Right. So, so, so through practice, we can get better at what Seth Godin says, dancing with fear, which is feeling it, but doing what I got to do anyways. And through practice, we get better. But the way we misinterpret it is when someone's good at dancing with fear, we assume they don't feel it, but they do. 
Like I was giving, uh, I was a keynoter at, at, at a big conference in Canada and Marion Jones was the other speaker. She's probably ran like 10,000 races. And she's like, yeah, before every race, I was nervous. And like in my world, I've probably given 1,200 workshops or talks in the last seven years. I'm nervous every single time. I was nervous before this, before this interview and I'm a bit nervous right now. And I, but, but I know like that, that doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong. And before Seth Godin taught me that, that's what I assumed. Like I was nervous before a talk and I assumed, well, I'm too young. I don't belong here. I'm not smart enough to do this. Since Seth Godin gave me permission to feel nervous and permission to feel fear, now I know just because I feel activated right now, it doesn't mean I'm doing something wrong or I'm not prepared. It just means I'm taking part in an activity that's taking me out of my comfort zone. And so once we learn how it works and learn to accept it, this can help us dance with it. It doesn't get rid of it. And so what we tell people is our goal is not to become fearless. We just want to give fear less power when we're learning. We don't want fear making our decisions when we're trying to grow. Not by getting rid of it, but by just understanding it. And I think that's something that's helped me more than I can even explain. That's, I, I, think, that. I think you said before, keep fear in the back seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good yeah. way. It's like fear is always in your car and you can't get rid of it. But what we want it to do is to sit in the back seat and not drive. And I think everyone listening, we've all can flash back to times where fear was driving, like fear was driving the bus. And the goal is we want to be driving. Fear is in the back, but we don't always have to listen to it. And that's our goal. That's cool, Trevor. Um, I'd like to ask you something about, you know, the Learner Lab and all that. I, I recently did a masterclass with, with Quick. It was all about learning faster and learning better, especially now, you know, my time would be a bit challenge let's put it that way over the next couple of weeks i've got a two and a half year old toddler Ooh. i've got a pregnant wife and i'm also <laughs> trying to be productive in in a work sort of space so sure. what's what's your advice or insight experientially if i'm trying to yeah like continue to upskill my learning you know re keep reading keep attending courses what's what's your opinion on like learning faster learning better or actually you know, it's not really about learning faster. It's about doing X, Y, and Z. Yep. So there's a lot of things to think about and, and we could get really into the weeds, but just high level stuff. One is sometimes because of people talking about like the 10,000 hour rule and stuff like that, we, we assume that a learning journey takes thousands of hours when like what that research is showing is like, yeah, it takes a lot of time to master something and be one of the world's leading experts in, in a field. For us, we just have to get like kind of good at something. If we get kind of good at it, it could be life changing. So like the return on investment of acquiring a skill for us and getting good enough is so powerful. And so it doesn't take 10,000 hours to develop a new skill and get good enough. And so sometimes a, a great approach is just to shrink that down and help people understand within the course of a weekend or a week or a couple of weeks, you can acquire a skill and like learn enough to be dangerous that the skill becomes useful, which is awesome. And so what we tell people is like just a couple of days or a week investment in acquiring a new skill like that can lead to returns for the rest of your life. You're adding a new skill to the equation. Of course, you can continue to grow and get better, but we can add it relatively quickly. I think one thing that we get 
caught up in sometimes, though, is we don't understand the difference between knowledge and skill. Knowledge is understanding like, okay, how to do this? What am I trying to do? The skill is I can actually do it. Now, knowledge can be gained through reading, watching, and listening, but to build the skill, we kind of need to do it. Now, for some skills, that's hard right now in isolation, but I think for a lot of skills that we're concerned with, we can still find ways to take action and practice the actual skill. Obviously, the knowledge is necessary, but sometimes if you're like me, I get caught up in gathering knowledge and then I never like take action on the knowledge. In order to grow, we kind of need to do both of those things. So that's something I would think about a lot is like, well, how do I practice this skill? Like, uh, the, And then the other one that's kind of underrated is expand your definition of skills. Like more things are skills than we realize. Sometimes we get caught up in these like concrete physical actions as skills, but like there's bigger things like organization is a skill. Leadership is a skill. Friendliness is a skill. Showing gratitude is a skill. The rule of thumb is if someone can get better at it, it's a skill, which means we could get better at it too. So I tell people, let's like expand our definition of skills. And then let's remember to get good at the skill. We need to practice it. And there's really no magic pill there. It's just treat it as a skill and get reps. And then if you want to add one final layer, it would be that growth mindset, which is the belief that we can grow and get better. Now, one layer underneath growth mindset is the research of neuroplasticity. I interviewed one of the most famous neuroscientists. His name is Michael Merzenich, and he's been studying learning and brain since the 70s. And it was a fascinating interview, but one of the clips I think about almost every day, like dead serious, he says, according to our work, absolutely everyone can get better at virtually any skill. Not to say we're all going to master something or all get really, really, really good, but if it's a skill, we can get better at it, much better than you know. And that's something I think if we just really accept that, that can have a profound impact on our learning. It's like, I don't care what skill you talk about. If you practice enough in the right way, you could get better at it much better than you know. Think about it like everyone listening could make any muscle stronger if they worked it out for an extended period of time, without a doubt. Now, we're all not going to become bodybuilders, but we could all get much stronger than we realize. Okay, think about the same logic with skill development. We can all get better at pretty much any skill, much better than we know. Not to say we're going to master everything, but we can learn more than we realize. And so that's, a, I think, a great sort of toolkit for anyone listening is the growth mindset is, I believe I could grow. Neuroplasticity says, that belief is founded in science. Then we think about, okay, expanding our definition of skills. More things are skills than we realize. And if it's a skill and I practice and take action, I could get better at it. It's like, that's a great toolkit to draw upon, regardless of what we're trying to learn. That's really excellent, Trevor. I'm, I'm curious as to what skills, what skills you're, you're learning or working on harnessing at the moment. Uh, a lot. So one of our latest podcast episodes was about the science of how stories are so powerful in the learning process. And we interviewed one of the world's best storytellers. His name is Matthew Dix. And so I've, 
over the last couple months have focused on, and, and I have a lot of work to do here, but to understand how to tell better stories and how to weave those into our podcasts and weave those into even the articles that we share on our website. And so I've actually been in touch with him and I'm reading his book and really trying to dig in. I even did one of his workshops and trying to understand how to tell better stories and then how to apply that to what I do. And so that's another concept that I'm thinking about a lot lately, which is, yes, we can get better at pretty much anything, but that doesn't mean we have to learn everything. But everyone listening, we're kind of on our path, we're on our, uh, in our lane, but there's a lifetime of learning that we can do within our path, like on our lane. For me, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, researching, learning, and sharing it with others. But there is endless skills that would make me better at that, whether it's design, whether it's storytelling, whether it's understanding the science, whether it's becoming a better communicator. Like there's so many things that will help me grow. So storytelling is one. And then the other that uh, Alex, he, he's on the podcast with me, we're really trying to dig into like the production side of podcasts and creating uh, more of like a more engagement with it through the sound effects and the production to see like, can we capture attention in better ways by incorporating sound and different elements to, to kind of spice up an episode. So we're thinking about that a lot. Um, and then also right now I'm doing a lot of research and reading about, uh, we talked about reappraising fear, but there's actually a lot of research that shows that same logic works for other tough emotions like anxiety and stress. And so I'm doing a lot of research on that. And so one second, just creating some sound there, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> it up there. That's, uh, there we go. Drum roll. Love um, it. <laughs> it's funny you talk about storytelling. We'd say the exact same thing because if not even a month ago, we got... We got an Irish girl on called Claire Murrin Murphy, and who'd be a, a quite world-renowned storyteller, and she's been doing it a while. And and we wanted to learn all about that, like how does she wrap so many things around story? Because we saw as well that that was a skill that we both wanted to improve, both as physios. It's it's important for us clinically when we're working with patients, but also definitely with something like a powder when you're creating content online. Sure. So it's it's cool to hear it's the same thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd like to jump into some personal experiences. Um, in For terms sure. of, you've worked across such diverse cultures and some organizations and with different people. What's been your favorite organization, either from the change you've impacted on them or basically what they're like when you went in? Where has been your favorite? Um, I really have enjoyed my work with the the Major League Baseball team, the Cleveland Indians. Uh, it's been an extended relationship, so it's been a few years now, and they're one of the most hungry uh, learning groups that I've ever met. And so they fascinate me because they're constantly reading. And when they read a book that they like, they'll invite in the author. And so they're so hungry to grow and get better. And everyone in that organization is a learner. From the top down, people are looking at ways to grow and get better. And it's so fun to go hang out in an environment like that. Um, in a way, I'm kind of jealous, like, oh, everyone here is trying to grow and get better. Like that snowballs and makes it more fun for everyone. Um, so that's been one of my favorite groups to work with. So like my favorite presentation by far, I actually got to do a workshop inside of a prison here in the U S and that was, I was really nervous and didn't know what to expect, but that was one of the most engaged groups I've ever worked with. It was like a three hour workshop 
and these guys were unbelievable learners and asked really good questions and it seemed like we 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 really connected and, and got some stuff done not because i was awesome more because they were awesome like i learned probably more than they did um but that workshop was one of those where you get done and it's like wow i'm never gonna forget those guys and i'm never gonna forget that two to three hours that we spent having some really i think powerful conversations about important stuff um so i'm i'm lucky that i get to do stuff like that super fortunate um and then on the other side it's like kind of my favorite group that I get to work with a lot is students of all ages. Like I love getting in and like this fear stuff we just talked about. I present that to third graders. Like we simplify it down a bit, but that's a conversation we're having with them. And to see the way they respond to something like that is pretty powerful. So I enjoy no matter who the audience is, I'm having the time of my life. And I think most groups can connect with this material. And so to see the way that it hits home is pretty cool. And to, to watch people run with it is, I think, the best part. Nice, nice. Very nice. Trevor, what, what do you think we can all learn and take from this global timeout that we've all had and we will continue to have for another couple of weeks? Sure. What, what's the, what are the big, the big things we can as humanity, as human beings, sure. at the other end of it, what can we learn to help so, us? I think there's layers to it. So obviously one layer is maybe some of us are fortunate to have extra time that we wouldn't have where we can uh, read and practice different skills. That's like layer well, one. And maybe m most of us don't have that. Like I think some of us do, but not all of us do. But I think we go back to expanding our definition of skills. Maybe what we're really learning now is how to be still. Like maybe what we're learning now is how to like deal with kind of the boredom of not having all these external things to activate us and to like be in our house and slow things down a bit and read more and have meals with our family and be around people for an extended amount of time. Like with my girlfriend and I, like we know each other at a different level now. We we spent more time in the last month together than if we would have been like dating for two years because it's like we're just stuck in a house together. And so maybe the stuff we're learning is kind of those deeper, like more like I guess you could call them soft skills that we're aren't we can't really put a thumb on, but it's like slowing down, dealing with the stillness dealing with the boredom, not always having to do stuff to connect with others. Maybe that's the stuff we're getting good at. I don't know. That's nice. Um, before we get into our kind of questions we tend to ask a lot of listeners, Trevor, I'd, I'd just like to ask a little bit of the secret sauce. We're, we're not there attending those, those presentations that you're, you're giving to such a wide and diverse audience, but do, do you tend to have common themes on, on a last sort of slide? And if you did what would they be like? What are the kind of three or four big, big yeah. pictures you would try to tell people that would attend one of these workshops of yours? Great question. And it's the we're presenting the same tools everywhere. Like the talk that I gave to the United Nations, the same principles we would teach to fourth graders. And that's really exciting to me. So where we're at now, and this has changed a lot in seven years, but I love where it's at now. In order to become a better learner, we have to engage in learning behaviors like expanding out of our comfort zone, learning from mistakes, sustaining action. And if you asked a five-year-old, they would probably be able to explain those learning behaviors. It's not rocket science. 
Then the goal or the next layer is to look at, well, like, why do we avoid those learning behaviors? Well, one could be we don't believe we can grow. Another could be that fear stuff we were talking about. I'm afraid to struggle. I'm afraid to look bad. And then to overcome those hurdles, it's I believe there are three important tools that we could build. One, the growth mindset, the belief we could grow. Two, the willingness to feel uncomfortable reappraising and accepting our fear. And then the third one we haven't really touched on, we call it framing, which is looking at a challenge and getting good at finding the opportunity within it. Not being blind to the problems or ignoring the problems, but just looking for the opportunity to grow. So I see those as like our three weapons to help us become a better learner. I believe I could grow, I'm willing to feel, and I'm good at finding opportunities to grow. If I have those three tools, I am going to engage in more learning behaviors and in turn become a better learner. So I don't care who we're talking to. That's where we're spending our time. Trevor, that was really cool. Um, where can listeners find a little bit more information as to what you're all about? Yeah, just go. If you go to the learnerlab.com, uh, it's, it's organized by topics. So if you're interested in growth mindset, click there. All of our stuff, pods and videos for growth mindset. If you're interested in the fear stuff, leadership stuff. Uh, also, my contact information is there. If, if anyone has any questions or wants to reach out, it's, it's on the website. All of this stuff is free. Um, and I think there, our videos are really good and our podcasts are really good. So I'm proud of both of them. Tell, tell us the, um, the image for the podcast. And kind of you know, the is a it's a lion, a tiger, a leopard, jungle yeah, tiger. Yeah, yeah. Jungle so, tiger. so one of the uh, one of our concepts that's I guess picked up the most traction is when we talk about learning, we talk about the jungle tiger. And just a quick explanation is if you compared the life of a zoo tiger to the life of a jungle tiger, you'd see they're like big contrast here. Zoo, easy, comfortable, no mistakes, no struggle, the jungle, the opposite. Then you ask anyone on earth, which tiger would grow more? Everyone on earth would say the jungle tiger. Now think about that. One tiger learns more than the other, but it wasn't because it had more tools or better tools. The difference was in the environment that it lived in. So the environment that involves struggle, challenges, obstacles, change allowed that tiger to grow more. Now the best news is, we as humans get to choose which tiger to be. Tigers don't. You either live in the zoo, live in the jungle. It doesn't change, but we do. We get to choose. Every day, we're presented jungle tiger moments, problems, challenges, obstacles, change. When we're, when we're presented those moments, we could choose to learn from them or hide from them, to experience them, to avoid them, to jungle tiger them, to, to, to zoo tiger them. And it's about these small choices we make every day. So asking a question in a group is being a jungle tiger because it's more difficult to do that than to not. Applying for a new role, new position. Reaching out to ask someone to be on your podcast. These are all examples of us choosing to expand out of our comfort zone. And the idea is when you do stuff like that, you grow more than if you don't. So this is like the core of our whole message is to become a better learner, we need to spend more time in the jungle. 
Now we have to get into the tools that help and hurt that or the obstacles of that and the tools that help that. But so the tiger is like our image of becoming a better learner. So that's why the tiger is on the podcast. It's it's kind of like the core of our entire message. In fact, some people with the Cleveland Indians, like some of the players don't even know my name. Like if I see them walking, they're like, oh, you're the jungle tiger guy. So it's like, <laughs> that's the piece that people have really responded to with our message. But they're probably playing... <laughs> I love it. The sound effects. Yes. Welcome to the jungle. Yeah, we, we, I'm stealing that idea from you today. Everyone's yeah. getting their new. That's every, every time I think of welcome to the jungle, guns or roses, I'll be thinking of that jungle. There you go. So, Trevor, just wrapping up now. In terms of our podcast, we ask certain questions at the end every time. And the first one, and you're a great person to ask considering the background and the insights you've given today is what does high performance mean to you? To me, it's just the hunger to grow and get better that I've had the opportunity to work with literally the people at the top of their field and the ones that are the best are still hungry to find ways to grow. And I think about that all the time. Nice. And then just in terms of growth over your lifespan and stuff, if you ever suffered a, set, a setback, what have you done to overcome that and change the dynamic or reframe? I think it's just going back to those foundational tools. The growth mindset says I'm not stuck. Understanding and accepting my emotions says it's okay to feel how you're feeling. And then it's about kind of like, all right, what can I control? What can I change? And what can I learn from this? And I kind of zoom in on that and get to work. I'm not perfect with it at all. No one is. But that's kind of ideally what I would try to do more of. Perfect. Lovely. Trevor Reagan, thank you very much today. Myself and Kieran really enjoyed it. Um, listeners, get yourself into the jungle. Get, get yourself learning. We've, we've learned a lot today. We're, we're really grateful for your time, Trevor. Um, I actually first heard a little bit from Trevor with the Cleveland Indians a couple of weeks ago when I was invited on just, just to be a guest to listen to this guy talk. And I learned so much in that period of time and it, just echoing the same today. There was so much for us all to take from that. So a lot of gratitude here. Um, hope you're well, stay fit, stay healthy, and, uh, and please keep in touch. Same to you. This is really important, your work you're doing, and I think you're helping a lot of people. So keep it up. I'm a fan. We're a fan Thanks of yours. Much, Cheers, Trev. See you later. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.